Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not Angry Black Men. Uh, you know, folks, sometimes we're angry, justifiably so, but we as black men do not wake up in the morning angry and then go to bed angry. That's just something that people say. Anyway, my name is Alan Witt. I'm here with my co-host, Justice B. Hill in Cleveland, Ohio. How you doing, Justice? I'm doing well, Alan. I, I go to bed angry sometimes, though. <laughs> and Gary Eswick in Clarksville, Tennessee. What's going on, Gary? What my mentors in life said, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry, but I'm always angry. Yeah, you are. That's true. <laughs> well, today, folks, uh, every week we talk about something that's of interest to uh, Black folks. Uh, we do a pretty good job with it, we believe. Uh, just three brothers just sitting around talking, nobody listening except for you. Today, we're going to talk about something that, you know, used to make me angry, but doesn't make me angry now. And that is Donald J. Trump, the former president of the United States, the guy who lived in the White House for four years, and now he's out. Well, he was up in Ohio this weekend. And it was a very interesting. So we're going to talk about him, what's going on with Donald Trump, how going on with him impacts black people. So we're going to start off. Justice, what do you think of the rally? Since you're in Ohio, what do you think of the rally that Donald Trump had and uh, everything else that's going on with him? Because it's quite a bit. Well, I mean, as far as the rally, I have seen no reports as to how many people came. I've read articles about it. Uh, they said it was a decent sized crowd. Not a lot of people uh, stayed, but I mean, what we got out of it was nothing that we haven't gotten out of it, uh, out of Trump since he, since January 6th. The same rehash of this is a scam and, and you know, the crime of the century, those kinds of things. It's just typical Donald Trump. I'm just surprised, I guess I'm not surprised really, that he has not come up with a new script. Uh, I'm tired of the old script. Um, you know, um, the thing that struck me most about his rally is all the people who walked out during the rally. Now, you know, those were, you know, Trumpets, as I call them, his his base. Um, and, and they were there, but maybe they were tired of hearing the same thing as well. Maybe they wanted to hear something different, a plan that he had. But as we know, while he was in the White House, he never had a plan and he doesn't have one now. So, Gary, I, I think they left early because it was hot. <laughs> it was hot. Gary, I, I, tend to, I tend to agree with uh, agree with justice there, Alan. I, I, I think he was a little human out there. All right. Well, you know, hey, um. Uh, a lot of other things going on with Donald Trump as well. There are a lot of books that uh, have come out and are coming out, uh, and uh, they paint a portrait of uh, basically, uh, me being blunt, a psychopath in the, in the uh, White House, everything that was going on. Um, you know, he's being charged. Uh, his, his company is, is going to be charged with crimes. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world of Donald Trump. So as far as Black people go, Gary, where do we stand when it comes to Donald Trump? Well, I think people that Americans that are seeing what's going on right now, they kind of can, can look at Donald Trump on the beginnings of what could be a vengeance tour. 
you know, a, a tool of retaliation. Uh, I think, like Justice said earlier, it's fair to say that there may not be an overall strategy behind this. Is this to set up uh, a presidential run, which, again, we, we all believe the odds against that simply because of age, if for nothing else, is totally, a, uh, you know, it, it, it seems to be a long shot. I think that what we could see here, best case scenario, uh, you could see Donald Trump turning over his power to someone else. But I think just like great leaders, whether it's Caesar or uh, I say great leaders, probably shouldn't use the word great, or Genghis Khan, they're going to, you know, I don't see Trump from what we've seen in previous years saying, hey, I'm going to turn over my power. I want you guys to put all your support behind candidate A. I think he's going to make he's going to he's going to fight until the very end until he's completely retired from politics and we we're going to see a fracture of the Republican party. How that impacts uh African Americans in this country? Um I think that there's still I think it's it's interesting to see um, the party Republicans infighting. Um, if you don't follow politics every day, this would be shocking. It, the more you pay attention to this, you see, you, you know, th this is part of a this is part of a cycle. You know, if you look at when, well, you could you could argue when Clinton went out of office, definitely when Obama went out of office, when Reagan went out of office. Uh, this is normal when you know when Jimmy Carter lost. When uh, presidents uh, lose, uh, it gives the party a time to kind of say, "What do we do to, you know, to to get the presidency back?" And um, you would hope that the Biden administration can take advantage of this. Uh, you would hope they can get some Republicans to to see their way on a couple of issues, uh, whether it's LGBT issues or issues with uh, with public safety. Uh, those are things that certainly would uh, impact the black community. We're still, in a, I, I don't know quite how that's going to work out yet because I still think we got to get past the midterms to really understand how Trump has impacted uh, the, the party after post presidency. Well, uh, were you were you surprised that that Bill Barr came out with some of the comments he's made in the past couple of days? I no, wasn't, wasn't surprised at all. He, no. he has to he has to clean himself up. Uh, you know, he's no longer beholding to Donald Trump. And as you saw uh, with him uh, and with Mitch McConnell, uh, Donald Trump blasted them because they're telling the truth. Uh, Donald Trump doesn't want to hear the truth. Donald Trump wants to hear uh, him, himself talk. And if you look at Donald Trump, if you look at the excerpts from the books that, that are out, Donald Trump actually believes these things. This isn't something where he's just trying to, uh, you know, you know, build support for himself. He genuinely believes a lot of the things that he says, and that's the biggest problem. And I think if people really look deep, if, as you said, Gary, a lot of people don't pay attention to politics. But if you pay attention to everything that's going on and you read the ins and outs, you can see that this is a dangerous man who really needs help that he's not gonna get. Now, as far as presidency goes, I think the fact that Donald Trump, as, as of this moment, is probably the Republican candidate for president again in uh, 2024. And if that's the case, I don't see how he can get, how he can get elected 
So to me, th that would be a good thing if Donald Trump is 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 the is the Republican nominee for president. That's good for Democrats because I don't think this guy can be elected again. I'm stunned that you that you said he can't be elected when the efforts by the Republican Party is to prevent black people from voting. Uh, he absolutely can win again because they're doing everything they can to make it easy for suburban suburbanites and for people in small towns to vote. They're making it impossible for people like us in big cities to vote. I think he varies, but to, to be honest, I'm surprised we're the midterm is more important to me than anything. And I don't know what the landscape, what the economy is going to look like, what post-COVID will look like in 2024. I think it's way too premature to say that. But I also disagree with you on something else, Alan. I mean, I never thought it. You said it as if Trump believes what he said, as if that's a surprise. That is not a surprise. I think you can't tell those lies for as long as he told them without believing them. I just don't believe you can do that. That's an interesting point. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's very telling that you know all the king's men you know uh, looking at his uh, looking at his uh, Ivanka Trump looking at Jared Kushner <laughs> the space between these people that at one point seemed inseparable right um, Justice mentioned earlier about Barr. Uh, you certainly had people that Trump has spoken negatively about. Jeff Sessions in Alabama, not too far from where, not too far from where we're at. Me, me and Alan. Uh, it's easy for people that have Trump has um, started to harass. Uh, how about people that he hasn't said anything about? I think when they start speaking out, when they start telling, when they when they start sharing their truths, I think that's a turning point there. Again, it's easy. You know, Trump has had already belittled, uh, you know, Barr many times. So, of course, the, the former AG spoke out. But w what about when someone who has consistently been in Trump's corner, when they speak whatever is their truth, that is, to me, a turning point. Who do you think, Gary, would be the first person you'd like to speak, see, see, say something about Trump? Obviously, it won't be Ivanka. It might, it might not even be Jerry Kushner. But who do you think might be... Uh, committed to say, hey, I'm tired of the lies. Ooh, how much time I got? <laughs> so uh, many candidates. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of which one, you know, part of me wanted to say Mitch McConnell, part of, but but he said, he said a decent amount coming off of January 6th. Let me let me piggyback on what I said, actually take back some of what I said, Justice. It's one thing to speak out in one speech, nothing to be consistent moving forward with that. So if you speak out against the January 6th uh, uh, riots, but then enact a block legislation uh, pertaining to it after, then what's the point of what's the point of your words? They ring hollow. So I'm thinking about who who is someone that would not just talk to talk in that moment, but would walk it later, uh, later uh, at Capitol Hill. That's that is what whoever that that mystery person would be. Okay, let's let's you know just just a little bit of a change. I'm still in reference to Donald Trump, but um, who is the next? And I, I, I just as I, I know, you know, we've talked about the midterms quite a bit and we still need to focus on that 
but we still need to have long range as well. Uh, as far as Republicans go, who out there do you see as a person who, if Donald Trump isn't the presidential candidate, who do you see from the Republican Party right now who could be the nominee? I don't see anybody. Absolutely no one. Partly because Trump controls the Republican base and until he frees them up, meaning uh, either he's sick or he dies or decides not to run, uh, there's nobody who's going to be foolish enough to, to take him on. Look at, all, look at all the people who are reaching uh, state senators and, and, I mean, not state senators, U.S. senators and Congress people who seek to uh, audience with this guy for him to lay hands on and say, you're my guy. I mean, everybody is still out there hoping that he will uh, anoint them. And I think those people who really might have a chance to, to make a uh, legitimate uh, run for the White House, they're going to run. I don't think Cruz is going to run if, uh, if, if, if Trump runs again. I don't think uh, uh, Marco Rubio will run again if Trump is in the campaign because it's too hard to run against this guy and, and sling mud the way he does. Uh, I just think it's too hard a fight. How about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis? I was just going to mention him. Are you, is that a question to me? That's the question to you, Justice. Yeah, what do you think? Well, I, I, I still think that, I mean, he's a Trump supporter. I, I don't think he's going to go against Trump. I just think the damage that you do to your, to your legacy by going against him, certainly for president, and I, uh, I just think that's a hard fight. And do you really want to fight the hard? Trump has raised millions of dollars for, uh, for whatever he's going to do next. I don't think these other guys will come close to raising that kind of money. Uh, but I just think the Republicans are so married to Donald Trump. Whatever, whatever the future looks like, it's going to be a future built around Donald Trump, at least until the midterms. And if the Republicans win, uh, reclaim the, uh, the, the House or take control of the Senate, I think that's just going to validate the kind of candidate Donald Trump is. And that'll make it even more difficult for people to want to run against him. You know, um, you know, you're right about Donald Trump. Tom, Donald Trump is a very vindictive person. Uh, and if you notice, he's gone after the senator from Alaska, who always uh, disagrees with what he's doing. Uh, he's trying to destroy her as he's destroyed other people. He's trying to go with the other candidate in Alaska as opposed to her. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, I, I do want to mention, too, that Donald Trump was scheduled to appear at a uh, rally down in Alabama. Uh, and, uh, you know, they basically shut him down uh, because um, they didn't want it to be partisan. It was supposed to be a celebration. And uh, they didn't want Donald Trump, you know, coming in and uh, making it partisan. And because you know when you get Donald Trump, like you said, Justice, he's going to say the same old things over and over again, the, the a big lie. That's all he's gonna talk about. And uh, this organization did not want him coming down doing that because I mean, it's supposed to be for everyone. 
and they can't have Donald Trump there because you know what he's going to do. He's going to talk about Donald Trump. How many times have you seen him at some type of event? Uh, and and he's there to, you know, when he was running for president, he was going places to support other people, never said a word about those people, and just talked about himself. And, but that's, and, that's, and, all, that, that's all he knows is himself. This is why yeah. I think a lot of people like him, Alan. And there's still this nonsense out there among people uh, there was a woman at the uh, at the rally in Lorain, Ohio, who said he'll be back in August. <laughs> He's going to be back in the White House in August. We've talked about this before. There's no mechanism in place for him to ever be president in the next four years. But that's in a good the next point. Three years. That's a good point, Justice. Let me bring attention to that. We spend a lot of time thinking about thinking about the best strategy, right? Mm -hmm. In the end. It doesn't matter how you get the ball in the hole if it if it got there. Uh, if the people that support him believe him, it doesn't matter what he says. That's that's the that is a hard truth that I think people that are not supporters of Donald Trump for them to understand. You know, again, I think I said this on one of our previous episodes. This he's that he's that bad boyfriend that that's that's mean against the world, but look, but lovey all on you, you know. As long as he is their candidate, their guy, as long as he supports them, they're very happy with them. I, I, yeah, that, that is that is totally. I, I think when when I when I talk to people that's that support uh, that support the former president, that's totally their belief. One of the things I ask people like that, though, Gary, is, okay, you may support him, but why? I mean, what does he stand for? And no one can say that. No, no one can say, okay, he's for this, he's for that, he's for that. I disagree with that. They can, what, what, well, what they me, it's not about, from people I've talked to, it's frankly, it's not about what he stands for as much as what he's against. That, that, well, that, yes. Which, which, which in, in turn is the same thing. You know, we're talking yeah. semantics now, but yeah, the, it, it's about what his platform is, where, you know, we're, uh, we're all about everything's in the country. You know, we're, we're not about being world leader. I mean, you know these things. Uh, we're not about, we're, we're gonna maintain the status quo, basically. We wanna turn things back to uh, the 1950s and, and, and before when America was, was great. We wanna take it back to the, the baby boomers era with the, you know, World War II. So we've heard, we've heard all this before. That is, these are people that when former President Barack Obama was elected, they did not feel there was an America for them. It's not yeah. the point. It doesn't matter whether they're right or wrong. That's not the point. That's how they felt. You can't tell somebody they're right or wrong by how they feel. And Donald Trump came at the right time with the right message. Even if the message was, this is like a Richard Pryor movie. <laughs> I'm going to think about when it was, what, um, vote none of the above? Was that Bruce's Millions? You know, I'm not saying vote for me. I'm just saying don't vote for anybody. You know, this Donald Trump came as the, as the anti-candidate and that message has connected. So he was an angry white man. <laughs> and he took that anger and he ran with it because there were a lot of people who felt the way he did. And if you're, you know, before Donald Trump coming came in, you know, it wasn't appropriate to say some things. And Donald Trump came out and said it. And then people said, well, hey, if, that, if the president is doing that or if the president is, is saying something, then I can do that too. That's when you start getting all these Karens coming out and uh, doing things against black folks. 
because they felt it was okay to do it at that point. How many times did you see that before Donald Trump got in? He opened the door for that. You saw it on a professional level. You saw it at companies, right? You you know, you saw yep. it. You saw it at events where people knew there were thousands of cameras around, including media. Um, it, it, it certainly emboldened a generation of people. One, one thing I, I try to think about is this, what's it like? What's it, what's it like at a household where uh, you've got three generations of people? And, and, and this, this, these are people that, uh, if, if we're all being honest, they're, they're not fond of people that don't look like them. So this is not every single Trump uh, supporter. These, these are just some. And these people are saying, boy, back in my day, we didn't have all these LGBTQs running around. We didn't have, you got a black person you're working with. You, you, you have a boss that's not from, that's, people aren't from this country. I can't believe you guys let them turn our city or our country around. I think there's, uh, more than we realize, more than we realize from people I've talked to, um, that regardless of their political affiliation, these are conversations that they had with, with their, uh, with their uncles, with their grandmothers, with their grandfathers, with, with their elders for years. We're talking, we're talking pre-Donald Trump of seeing a changing, a changing America. People are scared that um, the Hispanic community, the black community, that others will do what has been done to them. That is, that is all of what this is about. This is, this is like a repeat of, of, of South Africa with, you know, Nelson Mandela had to assure uh, white Africans, South Africans, that they would not be treated the way they had treated uh, Africans for so long. That was, you know, I, I think that's what a lot of this comes down to. And I, and I certainly understand your, your point, but it seems to me as an educated populist, you have to look at, I think you have to look at things a little differently. Find a candidate that speaks to those same issues, but also speaks to an America that's more easy to embrace than the one that Donald Trump embraces. I mean, Republicans have, not, have never been fans of a, lot of, is, of a lot of issues that are related to progressives and things like that but they've never fought as hard as this group has to invalidate an election, to stop black people from voting. We haven't seen that since the 60s. You know? We thought, again, we're fighting issues that I thought had already been settled, that, that it's, more, it's more beneficial to America to have uh, uh, polls open on weekends, to have uh, 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 melon ballots, all the kinds of things that, that you would think would be good. And, and now Republicans say, well, no, because too many of y'all are voting, so we're going to make it difficult because we know the lines are going to be long. I mean, that's what bothers me, Gary, is that we're not going back to the 50s again. And those people who think that we are, uh, you know, that maybe the 50s in their minds were uh, Ozzy and Harriet, you know, leave it to Beaver kind of world that that was the world that they want but that's not the world that we're in yeah justice but we're you we're using logic to discuss something that comes down to emotion that's you that's that's the that's the difference well, logic versus emotion uh if someone if you are the third generation 
a family member that's worked at a coal mine or a fossil fuel plant like we have here in uh, outside of Clarksville, Tennessee. And some and a, a political candidate comes in and says, I'm going to find a way to keep your plant open, even though you know that uh, it's, you know, not a snowball's chance. Hey, at least this person is trying or saying they're trying. What else? What else I got? And I, I again, that coupled with the part about I really think the anti-platform, anti I think that just spoke to a lot of uh, a lot of Americans. Seventy million of them, actually. You know, um, and, and, that, and, that, and that tells us something about where we are as a society when we have that many people who can support a candidate who runs on nothing. You know, fear, I think, uh, you know, th th this, this country is, is getting darker all the time. Uh, you, you know, uh, where people of color are here and they're going to be here. We're not going anywhere and we're multiplying. Uh, and uh, this country is getting darker and, and white America sees that. And as you said, just uh, uh, Gary, that they're they're fearful that we're gonna we're gonna do to them what they did to us, okay? And what does that say? That tells you they know that they're wrong in what they did and what they're doing, but they don't want to fix it because it's a benefit to them. And then they're fearful that if that changes, they're gonna have to endure the things that we're enduring now. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, it's that quiet, that quiet, that quiet majority that uh, I th I think we would agree is probably the difference with the civil rights movement. The people that they weren't they weren't openly racist. They may not have be they may not have been racist at all, uh, but they didn't take any steps to to uh, they didn't do anything that could help others that didn't look like them either. Uh, when you get the, when you get people that are that are that are neutral on board, I think it you know it can it can it can change a society. Yeah, I, I don't know if you can just sit back and you know there, we have a lot of complications in, in in our in our in our life, and I don't think you can sit back. There's a there's a quote by I think it was Desmond Tutu who said. If you are neutral in situations of justice, of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. I say to white people, if you choose the side of injustice, and that's what Trump represents to me, then you've chosen the side of the oppressor. And there's no, I understand poor people who, who poor white people may look at the gains that black people have made as infringing on theirs. But the fact of the matter is, most white people wouldn't trade places with the most well-off black person in this society because they know the baggage that blackness carries. And so why don't they make an effort to work across aisles and come up with some kind of compromise where we all can benefit from this, you know, this great democracy, that we all can benefit? Uh, there's a reluctance to give, to give that up. You're right. But the, the reality is that it is, the country is getting darker. So either you're going to work to try to maintain and, and, and create an environment where everybody prospers, or you're gonna be rolled over like a, you're gonna be rolled over like you are a 
like a, a steamroller. A steamroller is going to roll over you and not going to even look back. Well, here's is the that, problem. Here's the here's the problem, Justice. This country is like uh, uh, is like a scale, one of those old time scales where you balance it out. You can't, you know, right now we know that the scale is we're on the low side, white people are on the high side. White people are fearful that if it evens out, nothing ever stays even. It's going to start going the other way, and that's what they're afraid of. They're afraid that their side is going to go down, ours is going to go up. They don't see a scenario where things can be equal. They don't see that because somebody is going to be the leader and they're afraid that's gonna be us. And if that is us, they're afraid that we're gonna do those same things to them. So I, I don't know how you get around that. Well, I, I think you get around it by, if, if, if I'm white people, by electing a politician that reflects your, your, who you are. Donald Trump has nothing to do, Gary's talking about the coal miners. Donald Trump wouldn't know a coal miner from uh, uh, from, from wh whatever. I mean, he doesn't speak to those people. He's in a totally different world. He won't even shake hands with most of them if he didn't have to, because they're beneath him. But there are other people that they could have sided with or listened to who could have the same message, but could have done it with a, with a tone less uh, aggressive than what Donald Trump uh, ha has used to, to, to win and keep power. There are better ways to do this, Alan. I guess that's my point, than to side with somebody or to believe that the world is going to stop just because you're white and that your situation, A, either you learn to play within that system as we've been forced to do, or you got no shot of being uh, uh, finding success in this new world, in my well, opinion. Well, Justice, I, I think we're, we're being a slight bit naive if we don't factor in that there are people that believe this country is already, everyone in this country is already on equal footing. Let's put aside the fact of whether that's true or not, because we, we know that answer already. But there are people that think it's already on equal footing. So this is not about uh, getting everybody the same opportunities. There are people that believe this is about putting others ahead of them. That's because if, if you don't, uh, not to get deep into critical race theory, but if you don't understand at some point in this country, every single entity in this country, give or take, you know, a handful was against the, you know, I guess it was for the oppression of, uh, of black people. If you don't get that, if you don't get that the moment the Civil Rights uh, Act passed in the 60s, the next day wasn't, oh, everything's perfect. You know, this wasn't a bright and shiny world the very next day. If you don't realize that laws by themselves don't change people and what's inside of them, then you're, then this is not about uh, getting, letting black people catch uh, and other minority groups catch up. You're thinking they're already kept caught up and the reason they're in the projects is because that's the way, that's what they chose. You're not, you're not factoring in the GI Bill. You're not factoring in uh, the times where it was, it was time to harvest in Alabama. So they go 
arrest black folks on their porch for loitering and give them six months hard labor. You don't factor in so you, you there's so many things you're not factoring in and you don't want to hear it. That's critical race theory. You don't want to hear some of the things and realize how bad your country is because you can love something and have issues with it. There's nothing wrong with have, with, 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 with doing both. I say this to those, to those people who think like that. The South isn't going to rise again. The land of cotton is gone and it ain't coming back. So either you accept the fact that in this, let's put it this way. We spent our whole lives, people telling us we need to work harder and do this and do that. Need to work twice as hard as, 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 as white people, those kinds of things. Then maybe white people need to work twice as hard to stay where they are. But the train, the, 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 the steamroller is already left. It's already rolling along. So either you get in front of it if you get in front of it and try to stop it, you can get rolled over. If you walk alongside with it, you're gonna make you're gonna move at the same pace as every everybody else. But one of the things you can't forget, despite the numbers, the wealth gap between us and white people isn't gonna change in our in, in your kids' generation and not even your grandkids' generation. It's too much, it's too much wealth out there on the for white people to 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 you know look at how many white billionaires there are compared to black billionaires. Well, there's still, I mean, you guys know this, Alan, you have a, you know, you have a, a successful business. Uh, I'm sure I, well, I've actually never asked you this, never thought to ask you this, but, uh, and just as of course you've, you know, done some work for yourself too. I still can remember, and I'm the youngest of this group, of course, the most good looking too. Um, I remember a time not that long ago. I mean, not that long ago, I mean a couple of weeks, years ago, people were still saying, yeah, I'm going to start a business, but I'm not going to put my picture out there, my face out there on social media because I don't want people to know it's black owned. I don't want them because I don't want them to have a certain perception of it. I don't think people will buy from me if they know it's black owned. That's that's hasn't been that long ago. There might be some people still out there now, even in 2021. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's still, I mean, black lawyers will tell you this, tell you that all the time that, that, uh, uh, People think that if you're uh, white, or particularly in the case of Ohio, a Cleveland, a Jewish lawyer, that you'll get get them better justice than a, what a black lawyer will get you. There's still those kinds of things. Uh, a black doctor, for example, is is marginalized in ways that a white doctor won't. I mean, those kinds of things still exist, but that doesn't mean that they that they can't that we can't, haven't chipped away at them. We certainly have. I mean, the fact of the matter is, when Alan and I got into journalism, we were almost every newsroom we came into, we were like the exception. Uh oh, y'all got one of them. Woo! You know, now that you, years later, you walk into the newsroom and you're the like, if the paper's big enough, you're the 100th or 200th black person who rolled through a, a newsroom. That makes a difference. That Absolutely. Alan, where, where, Alan, where did you and uh, you and Justice worked in Detroit? Was that right? Worked at the Detroit News, and I'll tell you, uh, that was uh, that was probably the most diverse newsroom I was ever in. I met some great journalists who still are in the business today, doing well. Uh, I learned so much from those people, uh, and 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 that helps. It also makes it so that your coverage is 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 more fair. Um, you know, how many times have you seen a headline or you've seen a picture 
And you ask, how did that get through? Well, it got through because there was no one uh, African-American there to say, hey, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. But at the Detroit News, there were so many of us that, you know, you could always bounce something off of somebody and, uh, you know, ask. I remember, uh, you know, one time, uh, you know, I was a deputy sports editor uh, at the news. And uh, even 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 me, um, there was uh, when the Braves were in the World Series and we you know, somebody had a headline that was cute, but was basically looking back on it today was demeaning to Native Americans. And, uh, you know, you know, everybody loved it. They thought it was a great head. Now, they didn't think of the ramifications except for one person. And that one person was vigorous in saying that that was wrong and we shouldn't do that. So I listened because I was the guy who was going to make the final decision. And I felt if he felt that passionate about it, that I shouldn't do it. And I didn't. Now, this goes beyond business as well. I'm sure you've heard this happen quite a bit. When I left the Detroit News, I went to ESPN. I had a house in a suburban uh, Detroit. Novi is the name of it. And our house stayed on the market. My family stayed there while I went to Bristol, Connecticut, while we sold the house. And it took away, the house, the house wasn't selling. Uh, you know, so um, the house wasn't selling and it was the, because we had our pictures. The house, you could tell it was a black home. It was a beautiful house. As soon as we got rid of the pictures, we took them down, took away everything that said black. Then what happened? We sold the house within a week to someone white. So that happened. Anyway, um, Donald hey, Trump. There are people out there that don't believe that happened. That is, I think, at the at, that is the precedence of what we're talking about. There are people that they they need to see something like that. They need to hear more of those stories, and that's a job that we do as journalists to help people know. Yeah, you know, it's not the world's not as fair as you think it is. But we also have to understand that even as Alan told that story, that was what ten years ago. There's a lot that's changed in 10, 15 years. I mean, that doesn't mean it doesn't still happen. The fact of the matter is a lot of what America is, is stuck in, I don't know, I won't say 700, million, 70 million white people or whatever. It's, some people are stuck in a different point in time. And we've got to, we as journalists, as writers, as, 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 as people of color who have white friends, we have to do a better job of telling them, hey, here are some issues that we face just look at them, just explore them. Just ask yourself, are, do black people have a reason for grievance? Just ask yourself that. And if you do a, a, just a minimum amount of exploration, you'll find a lot of places, a lot of uh, situations where we are not getting a fair deal in this society. And that's all we want. I mean, Trump on the other hand, back to him, he doesn't want us to give a, get a fair deal. He wants to keep us exactly where we was at, or as we said in the 1950s, stuck on, you know, make America great again. Well, it was great because it was white. It wasn't great for us. Plus, I don't like mayonnaise sandwiches. <laughs> All right, <laughs> fellas, um, <clears throat> we're running out of time here, so we're going to move on to the uh, segment of our show at the end, where we take just a minute 
each of us and talk about whatever we want to talk about. No interruptions. And it is just a minute. So, uh, Justice, you should go first. I, I went first last week and Gary the week before that. And so what do you have to say? I'm still going to, uh, I don't know if we hit on this last week when we, uh, when we spoke. I want to give a shout out to Anna Morgan Lloyd, uh, the first person who was convicted in the January 6th insurrection, because it takes audacity to do what she did, to throw herself on the mercy of the court in an insurrection and walk away with, probation, a $500 fine, and 120 hours of community service. Now, I always knew that the legal system in this country was, was slanted towards white people. But when we get to insurrection, when if you, if you can't punish insurrection, what can you punish? What the court seems to be willing to do is have two forms of justice, one white, one black. They're not fair and they're not equal. Because for what Morgan Lloyd got, what she got has nothing to do with justice in this country. And anybody who sees otherwise is looking at an America that, that is really st stuck in the 1800s. This was not a fair sentence. And I can't wait to see what the other uh, uh, defenses will get. If that's all she got, I don't think anybody else is gonna get anything much worse. We shall see. Well, I'm going to go next and we'll have Gary close us out. Uh, here in Nashville, uh, the police department has uh, started a program where they're going to have uh, show social service workers go out with police officers in situations that call for handling it because people are having uh, mental issues. They're just starting this program. Uh, this is an example. Uh, first of all, I want to congratulate the police department for doing that. And this is something that should happen all across this country. The problem is that too many police departments don't want to give up the right to smack somebody upside the head. They don't want to give up the opportunity to be aggressive. They're not there to fix things. They're there to put their thumb their, their 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 foot or their knee on your neck that's what they're there to do so i commend the nashville police department because this is a program that will go throughout the police department they get calls where people are have are in mental distress an officer will show up but there will be another person who's trained in that not a police officer someone who's trained to handle that type of issue. So I want to commend the Nashville Police Department and I hope other police departments are watching that. Very cool. I'm going to finish us out. I'm going to talk about uh, some Black creatives on TikTok. And for you old folks, TikTok is a fairly new social, social media brand that uh, is uh, super video friendly. Well, there are a number of... Uh, of uh, Black creatives that have not been happy that their content, if you come up with a dance, for example, um, for whatever reason, uh, a platform such as uh, TikTok can be uh, just as racist as people. They're, imagine if I came up with a, a dance, but 
um, the platform highlights other people that have mainly been white um, that as the creators of the dance. And what do you lose from it? You lose thousands, if not millions of dollars of potential revenue of monetizing your, your creative, uh, your, 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 your creation. Uh, and black creatives said, we're not, we're gonna stop. We're gonna stop dancing. We're gonna stop influencing culture that's being stolen from us. And I applaud uh, some black creatives for stepping up and saying, if you can't give us a credit, we're not gonna do it. All right, thank you. Hey folks, that's the end of the show. My name is Alan Witt. I'm here with Gary Eswick and Justice B. Hill, asking you to tune in to us next week. Now, this is a podcast that should be available any place you find podcasts. So check it out. We are not angry black men. Thank you, folks. Goodbye, Justice. Take care. Goodbye, Gary. See you, Alan. All right.